You're listening to WRFH Radio Free Hillsdale. I'm Lauren Smith, and with me today is Sarah Ella, a nationally award-winning young adult fiction author. Her books include The Unblemished Trilogy, Coral, and most recently, The Wonderland Trials. Sarah, welcome to WRFH, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. Let's start by talking about your journey as an author. Writing is a career I think many people dream of pursuing, but you're one of the relatively few people who's actually stuck around through the struggles of writing a book, finding a publisher, and editing, and you've been successful at it. So what got you started on writing in the first place? It's definitely a commitment, I'll say that. I've always loved writing growing up. It was one of my favorite subjects in school. I hate math. So anything that had to do with words and not numbers is definitely something I gravitated toward. And I had great English teachers. They really invested their time and energy into me and to helping me become a better writer. And it just felt like it was something that came naturally. It was something that I enjoyed as opposed to doing equations. So it was something that I worked at, and my mom always supported me. She always said that I would be a writer, and my first book, Unblemished, is actually dedicated to her because of this reason. Could you tell me a little bit about the plot, how you were inspired to write the book, and what your creative process looked like? Yes, absolutely. So Unblemished came out in 2016. The inspiration for Unblemished was partly due to my love for fairy tales, and there are lots of allusions to fairy tales in that book, but also just because when I was in high school and growing up, I really struggled with self-image. I didn't like to look in the mirror. I, I really struggled with what true beauty meant, and so I wanted to write a book that kind of explored the idea of true beauty, what it was, and where it came from. While I was writing it, I was really inspired by the TV show Once Upon a Time because it mixed all the different fairy tales together. And I think the biggest question that came to mind as I was writing Unblemished, though it's not a Beauty and the Beast retelling, I thought, what if the Beast from Beauty and the Beast had stayed a beast or if he had stayed you know, blemished or ugly in the eyes of the world? Would Belle have still loved him? Would she still have chosen him? And that kind of really played a huge part in my inspiration and the process of exploring the theme of true beauty. But the the process was much longer for Unblemished than it was for my other books because I wasn't on deadline yet. I wasn't contracted yet. So I kind of had the freedom to explore what novel writing looks like for me, and it took several years. I'm a discovery writer. Uh, I didn't know this back then. I, I know I have a term for it now after having written five books. Back then, I didn't know what that was. Some might call it a panther. You write by the seat of your pants. I like to call it a discovery writer because I discover the plot as I go, and really the character's sometimes tend to take control. There's one character in particular in Unblemished who I thought was just a villain. That's what he was supposed to be. And about halfway through the writing process, I realized that he had a bigger part to play. And as I was writing, the magic system and the world building developed more, but it really didn't develop until I did find a publisher and I worked with a professional developmental editor. Uh, She really helped me see that If I wanted the book to become a trilogy, if I wanted it to last for the duration of three books, I needed it to be more about 
something that overarched through those three books. So originally, Unblemished kind of just explored the story of my main character, Eliana, trying to save her mom from this bad guy. But my editor made me realize you need something bigger than that. And that's where the void and the verity, the exploration of light and darkness came in. Uh, So with all of that, I would say the process was definitely long and it lasted a lot longer than than any of the other books I've written because I had that time. What were some of the specific steps along the road to publication? In other words, what's it like to write a book for the first time? Yeah, that's a great question. So publication, the road to publication and the length of time is going to look different for everyone. For me, it started with joining an organization like ACFW, which is American Christian Fiction Writers. I got connected with some critique partners, and we started swapping manuscripts. That's a huge thing. I really highly recommend anybody who's interested in novel writing get connected to a critique group or a local writer group in some way. I also found it very valuable to enter unpublished writing contests. They're usually a small fee, and it's a way to get uh, professional or experienced feedback from those in the industry, uh, and it's really, really helpful. I found found that contests were really helpful to me in kind of learning how to self-edit and hone my own writing. Uh, and during during that time, I mean, before you're published, it, it's hard because you're looking for that validation. You're always questioning if you're not good enough, but... I'm here to say, and I know several authors, published authors who feel this way, uh, that that doesn't go away just because you're published. So writing a book for the first time is definitely new. It's scary. You're wondering if it's good enough. But at the same time, you're also kind of exploring what it means to be a writer and I feel like I'm continuing to do that even even though I'm published. So once I had entered into those critique groups, entered into those contests, and started getting involved in the writing community, I uh, got my manuscript ready to pitch at a conference. I hired a freelance editor, and she really helped me see the mistakes and strengths in my own writing. I went to that first uh, American Christian Fiction Writers Conference. I pitched to a couple of literary agents. They have appointments you can take where you have 10 to 15 minutes to basically try to sell your novel to them and see if they want to take a closer look. I did do some cold querying at the time, which is basically sending a brief email telling an agent, a literary agent, what your book is about. I didn't get too many nibbles from that, though, and really found the value in going to a writer's conference because you can get face-to-face with those agents and editors. A few months after that first writing conference, I got a few offers of representation from agents, and that was a little bit of back and forth, asking them questions, finding out who would be a good fit for me. I had a couple of rejections uh, during that time and then decided to sign with an agent. Uh, We got a rejection from what I thought was my dream publisher a few months after that. And then a few months after that, I got the phone call three days before my 30th birthday that uh, Thomas Nelson, HarperCollins, wanted to give me a contract for the Unblemished Trilogy. So that's kind of in a nutshell, the the road and the processes, the process to publication. It took me about, I would say, four years from putting pen to page on Unblemished to finally 
to finally getting to that point in and getting offered a contract. That's a long time, but wow, that must have been a very rewarding phone call. <laughs> that would be one, I, if I had a voicemail or anything, I would definitely have to save that. Now, earlier this year, you released another book called The Wonderland Trials, which was actually one of my favorite summer reads this year. I really enjoyed it. It's a retelling of the Alice in Wonderland story from a more modern but still very fantastical perspective, and it pursues the same Christian worldview as your other books. Were there any major differences between the publication for the Wonderland Trials and Unblemished? You'd had more experience as an author. How did that change the process for you? It definitely changed the process. I mean, I would say when you're in the trenches of deadline writing, you don't feel like much is different. You feel the stress. You, you're you worried that your editor's not going to like it, that you're just not going to get it done on time. But some of the differences included just the fact that because I was already an established author, I didn't have to write a proposal for the Wonderland Trials. Uh, my first publisher did have the option on it in the contract, which just meant that they had to have the option to see my next book to decide if they wanted to publish it or not uh, before I showed it to anybody else. That's just part of, that's pretty standard in most publishing contracts because they had already published my first four books. They uh, rejected it. They did not want the Wonderland Trials. And so what's really interesting is that uh, I had changed agents. And so I'm with Steve Lobby right now, who is an amazing Christian agent, and I just love working with him. Uh, But he also happens to be kind of the head honcho at Enclave Publishing, which is a smaller, more niche Christian publisher who publishes Christian speculative uh, fantasy and sci-fi books. And he immediately wanted the Wonderland Trials. He had already seen my little blurb for it, which was just a couple paragraphs long. And he said that Enclave definitely wanted it. So I didn't have to submit a 20-page proposal or, or anything. And that was one nice thing because I was already established. I had already proven that I could write a book on deadline. And so that was really nice because I got to skip that that step. And I had the unique situation of my agent also being my publisher. And so he wears two different hats. He wears the hat of publisher and he wears the hat of agent. Um, Every publisher is different, of course, uh, and every edit is going to look a little bit different at each publishing house. I did find there were a few differences with with working with my current publisher, Enclave, in that they combine the line edit and the developmental edit. So I get all of that at one time instead of two separate edits. And I remember specifically when I got the edit for the Wonderland Trials, and I only had a two-page editorial letter. And I was used to, by this time, a 10 to 15-page editorial letters from my previous editor. And so I called up my editor slash agent, and I said, what is this? This is this is not an editorial letter. This isn't even an edit. Where are all the things I need to change in this book? And he said something to me that I never, I will never forget. He said, don't you think by now you've learned a little bit more about writing so you're a better writer so you don't need as long of an editorial letter? And it kind of silenced me because I hadn't really seen that growth in my own writing until he pointed it out. So those are some of the major differences between Unblemished and the Wonderland Trials, aside from the fact that Unblemished just wasn't written on deadline. The first book wasn't, and The Wonderland Trials. I had about a year and a half to write that before I turned it in. 
Thank you for joining me over coffee. You're listening to WRFH Radio Free Hillsdale and the Conversations Over Coffee interview series. With me today is award-winning young adult author Sarah Ella. Let's pursue that theme a little bit more and talk about the technical aspects of professional writing. What were some things you learned before you published a book, maybe from the competitions that you mentioned and ACFW, that informed your writing style and helped you really write a manuscript that would sell to Thomas Nelson HarperCollins? It, that's such a great question. Uh, you know, it can be really overwhelming as a new writer, just kind of trying to figure out, you know, how do I write a book? How do I learn to write well so that I can publish a book? And you're going to get a lot of different information coming at you. You'll hear people talk about goal motivation and conflict, and you'll hear people talk about story structure and show versus tell. I would say one of the biggest, best pieces of advice that I learned early on that I really grabbed onto and really worked on before becoming published was showing instead of telling, showing that emotion, so showing what somebody's facial expression looks like when they're sad versus telling them she was sad. And a really great tool I found that really helped me was the emotion thesaurus. It's a really great uh, resource that I highly recommend. There are several different books in that series that kind of touch on showing instead of telling. And that was something that I just really feel like it, it was a skill that helped me stand above other writers in that way because I somebody had taken the time to show me how to show instead of tell. I also would say, uh, you know, don't think that reading isn't valuable because good writers are good readers. And I read a lot. I still read a lot, though not as much because I'm usually on a writing deadline. But reading is really, really necessary to honing good writing because we remember what we read and it sticks with us and it helps us see good story structure. It helps us see characterization, dialogue, all the other elements of storytelling. So I think it's really important to to take that time to read if you want to be a writer. It's also important just to understand how to take criticism, to listen to more experienced writers. Early on, I had some people uh, that had invested in me and invested in helping me become a better writer. And if they hadn't taken the time to critique me and tell me what I was doing wrong and show me what I could do to do it right, I don't think I would be where I am today. And so if somebody is investing in you and you're wanting to write, whether it be a professor or a critique partner or another author who's taken time to invest in you, listen to them. Uh, Not all feedback is, you know, constructive, but if you have somebody who's taking that time, usually they're trying to help you rather than hinder you. And then, of course, I would say one of the biggest things that I did before becoming a published author that really helped me hone my my writing skills was learning how to self-edit. I hired a freelance editor for Unblemished before I pitched it to any literary agents, and I felt like that was like taking a crash course in editing. It was so valuable. And I I can't say enough about how much she taught me and how much self-editing has really helped me in the long run. What are some books that you recommend authors read, whether those are educational or just other books that are kind of in the young adult genre? Well, if we're talking writing craft books, my absolute favorite all-time writing craft book would be Save the Cat Writes a Novel. 
uh, by Jessica Brody. That has been the most valuable book to me in understanding story structure and story beats. I do not outline my stories, but it's really been a great guideline for me to know what beats to hit in my stories and when. As far as good young adult novels that I highly recommend, uh, as far as if you want to be a YA writer like me, and you want to see how good YA stories are written, I would highly recommend anything by author Nadine Brandis, anything by Kara Swanson or Mary Weber. C.J. Redwine has some great fantasy fairy tales out there. I love Marissa Meyer's Lunar Chronicles and anything by Kira Cass. Uh, And then as far as contemporary goes, if you don't love the fantasy genre, my favorite YA contemporary author is Casey West. I think she knows how to hit that dialogue and those dialogue notes really, really well. They're really easy, fast reads, but they also have a lot of depth to them. Uh, I can already see my reading list getting much longer from this. (laughs) What's your advice for young authors who have a manuscript in hand and maybe have even written a book proposal or a query letter but aren't sure where to send their work? How can they find the right publisher or agent from all the choices listed online? And should they bother looking for a publisher when they could have an agent or vice versa? It really just depends on what their goals are. If they want to be with a big five publisher or with a more established, maybe median publisher like Enclave, they are going to need a literary agent. Most of those bigger publisher, mid-sized to big publishers, they do not even look at a manuscript unless you are agented. It's just their way of filtering because they get so many manuscript submissions. So if they see a message in their inbox from an agent they've worked with before, they might be more inclined to say, hey, I know that agent. I trust that agent. I know they're not going to send me a poor, poorly written manuscript. So they're, they're going to see that and then they're going, that's going to make a difference as opposed to just getting an email from an author they've never heard of before. And that's just on the publishing side of things. As far as getting an agent goes, unless you're wanting to go indie, though a lot of indie authors do have self-published authors, they do have agents just because they want to be hybrid, which means they want to both publish independently, like on Amazon, and they also want to traditionally publish, like with HarperCollins. Uh, and, and those authors, those hybrid authors do have an agent. So as far as finding an agent goes, uh, a really great resource is agent, agent query and query tracker online. You can just Google them and you'll, they'll pop right up. And those are great ways to find agents, what they're looking for, what genre, uh, they're looking for. And those are pretty much tools that everybody uses across the board. Another really great tool is, um, the Christian Writer's Market Guide, which is um, republished or updated every year, and that's really a helpful resource that I highly recommend. Uh, if you're looking for an agent and you feel really overwhelmed and you're really wanting to traditionally publish and you want to get into that publishing game, yes, you do need an agent first. That would be your first step. So check out Query Tracker and Agent Query, but you can also just look in the acknowledgement sections of your favorite books. Say you're writing a young adult fantasy that is along the same vein of Marissa Meyer's Cinder. 
you might look in the acknowledgments section of that book. And usually if the author likes their agent, they're going to thank them. So you might see the name of her agent and write it down. You can make a list. And I would recommend not querying more than a handful of agents at a time. Don't query everyone at once. That gives you a chance to hear back from those agents to possibly get any feedback if, in, if they're giving feedback, because some agents will give feedback. They may say, I really like this, but this is not what I'm looking for at this time. And that can help you kind of chisel away at your query to make sure that it fits and that it's it's really cleaned up and revised. Uh, if you don't, if you don't want to go that route, you can also look into writing conferences. There are so many great writing conferences out there. Like I mentioned, there's the American Christian Fiction Writers Conference. If you are into writing Christian fantasy and science fiction, there is the Realm Makers Conference. And at writing conferences, you usually have the opportunity, like I said before, to pitch to an agent in person. And there's just something about that face-to-face -face interaction that I think makes it more memorable to them. They're more likely to remember who you are when they say, yes, send this to me in an email. So those are really kind of the first steps. If you're, if you're writing a manuscript and you're not ready to look for an agent because you do need to have a completed manuscript before you send it to an agent or to an editor, then I would say your first step would be to find a writing group or a critique partner, like I said, get involved in the writing community so you can really hone, hone those writing skills. Thank you for joining me over coffee. You're listening to WRFH Radio Free Hillsdale and the Conversations Over Coffee interview series. With me today is award-winning young adult author, Sarah Ella. So along the way in this process, it sounds like it's pretty much inevitable that you'll eventually be rejected somewhere. And you even mentioned this happened to you, which I would imagine could be daunting for even professionals, let alone young writers who aren't sure if their work is any good. What's your advice for dealing with that negative feedback, whether it's a no from a publisher or a kind of harsh critique from an editor? Well, the first thing I would say is to give it to the Lord. Um, we, he, he cares about us and he wants to know our, our worries and our hurts. And so I would say, give it to God and, and talk to him about it because he's ultimately the one who, who can give you the comfort you need, dive into scripture and, and just remind yourself of those truths. Uh, but then also surround yourself with community. Don't, don't do this thing alone. Yes, you're sitting there at your manuscript, tapping away, away at the keys or writing in your notebook. And that is, it can be a really lonely, isolating thing, but that doesn't mean that writing as a whole, that you as a writer need to be alone. So surround yourself with community. Find those other friends, whether it be online or in person, at your school, at your church, who love and have a passion for writing like you do. Confide in somebody you trust, whether it be a family member or friend who maybe isn't a writer, but they care about you and they want to see you succeed. Give, give your cares and your burdens to them and let them comfort you and remind you that anything worth doing is going to be challenging. If it was easy, uh, then I would be a little bit worried. But anything worth learning, any skill worth pursuing is going to be challenging. And remember that not everyone is going to like your book, just like not everyone is going to like a painting or any other piece of artwork. Uh, it's, a, it's subjective. It's creative. Not everyone is going to be drawn to my stories. 
But I will remind you on the flip side of that, if you are feeling really down about rejection and worried about those criticisms and those negative reviews, no matter how many negative reviews you get, and I say this anytime I teach a group of writers, you are going to be somebody's, even if it's just one person's favorite author. So hold on to that. I may not be everybody's favorite author, but I am someone's favorite author. And that's a big deal. If my writing has impacted at least one person, especially if it's impacted them for the Lord, that is huge. And that is something I really um, grasp onto. And for those who are dealing with rejection from maybe publishers or agents at this time or who are worried about that, just remember that the industry and the market is always changing. So, you know, vampire books were really popular, you know, 10, 20 years ago. I can't even remember how old Twilight is now, but they may not be, you know, what's selling right now in the market. So just remember that just because you're rejected by an agent or by a publisher, that doesn't mean your story's not any good. It just may not be the right fit at the right time. It may not have been, been put in front of the right person at the right time. Don't give up. Keep on trying and pursuing your dreams. I would imagine you lead a very busy life, not only as an author, but also as the mom of three kids and their personal homeschool teacher. What's the secret to maintaining a good writing-to-life balance? You know, how much do you write per day? What are some other things besides writing that being an author requires of you? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I would say number one is God's grace. I, I could not do it without His grace and working through me to be patient and loving and kind, even when I'm extra stressed out. And every week differs. Every month differs because every season of writing differs. You know, I'm in a different season right now where I haven't been doing any writing. I've, I have work things that I do and I teach writing to high school students and I have other freelance things that I do, but I turned in my manuscript to my publisher at the beginning of the summer and I'm still waiting for edits back on that. So my life balance looks a little bit different right now than it will in a few weeks when I'm on deadline again, where I may be going to the coffee shop more to get some some editing done and things like that. And it really comes down to making sure I have my team around me. My husband is extremely supportive. He makes sure that I'm able to have those times where I do leave the house or I have the quiet time in our bedroom whether it be 20 minutes or an hour or two hours, he's really supportive and we is really flexible with me and, and we work around each other to make sure that we're each able to get the things done that we need to get done. Um, I'm in a unique position where I do have a teenager in the house now. And so while I homeschool, uh, I have a teenager who is able to babysit. Um, she's very independent in her work. I have a 10-year-old who's becoming more and more independent in her work. They can help their four-year-old brother with some of his work. And so we just kind of all work together. I, I feel like it's definitely different than it was when I had just little ones in the house. But again, at that time, it was different because they would nap. And so I had hours of time in the afternoon, whereas nobody in my house is young enough to nap anymore. And so it's just being flexible with one another, making sure I'm gathering my, my team around me and 
being intentional about it, knowing that when I have time to write and I've made that time in my schedule to write, whether it be one day a week or five, uh, it's, it's really just kind of comes down to making sure that I am writing, even if I don't feel like it, because I can't wait for that inspiration to come. If I waited for inspiration to knock on my door, I, I don't know that I would ever write, but sitting down, making myself do the work. And then usually once I've started writing for five or 10 minutes, I get into my groove and it's really helpful. But because I have such limited windows of writing in my schedule, I, I have to make myself write when I do have that time. And like I said, it comes in seasons when I'm on deadline and it's looming and it's close. I, I'm usually writing every day. Right now, like I said, I'm in a season of not writing. So it really just depends on on what's due and when is it due. All of your novels are informed by a Christian theology. I would imagine it can sometimes be pretty difficult to share the gospel in a predominantly secular industry. I mean, there are thousands, probably millions of young adult books, but a relatively low percentage of those are theologically coherent or have any obvious relation to Christianity. So what has your experience been as a Christian author? Have you found that certain doors were closed to you or was it the other way around? Did you gain even more opportunities to share your stories because of the faith that inspired them? That's just such a wonderfully worded question, and I'm going to try to answer it as, as, as articulately as you asked it. So I would say that it is both and. I would say that being a Christian author or being an author or a Christian in any industry that's in the spotlight a bit is going to open some doors and it's going to close some others. Everybody's on social media. Being an author requires me to market my books on social media, to interact on social media. And in that way, I've definitely lost followers. Uh, I've lost followers and I've gained other followers. I've lost followers who, you know, I'm, I've posted things to, to speak about my faith and what I believe and have essentially been canceled by certain people. But in the same way, I'm attracting the followers that, that I want. Uh, if they're going to cancel me and they're going to unfollow me, then maybe I don't want them as readers anyway. My books aren't, aren't, aren't for them. But in the same way, I've reached new readers, and I found new readers who the faith thread does resonate with, who want books that are clean and appropriate and and give that kind of Christian worldview. As far as other doors being open, I, I would definitely say my writing goals and my career goals have shifted over the years, where once I might have had big dreams of being on, you know, being on secular talk shows and, and traveling around the world. And, uh, you know, I don't think those opportunities are going to open, are going to open up for me because there are certain things and certain content um, that I'm not willing to put in my books. I'm not willing to cross those boundaries. And working with a Christian publisher, they allow me to write those clean books without pressuring me into write writing content that I'm not comfortable with. They want me to put that faith thread in there. So I'm probably not going to be on the Today Show anytime soon. Uh, and I'm okay with that. I'm actually, I'm, I'm really content with where I'm at. I'm really content with just kind of being this mid-level Christian author who is not super famous. But at the same time, I've gotten other opportunities that have opened up for me, just like this interview talking to you when I told my husband that I was 
um, being interviewed by by someone at uh, Hillsdale College, he said, "What? That's amazing!" <laughs> um, he was he was so excited for me, and he just kind of he kind of flipped because he was so he was so excited um, because he just loves what the college is about, and it was really exciting for for both of us. So, uh, all in all, I would say. When it comes to you know sharing your faith and and being outspoken about your faith when when you're in the spotlight or if you're wanting to be a Christian author, um, just know that that there will be certain people who don't want to read your books. I even have some Christian readers who say my books aren't Christian enough, um, you know, because uh, some some readers are uncomfortable with with magic in books, and some readers want more of that altar call at the end. I am a Christian author who puts my Christian worldview in in my books that happen to be in the the secular YA section at Barnes and Noble. But by having them in that section, I hope to reach other readers, readers who might not walk to the Christian fiction section uh, at the bookstore, who might pick up my stories, see the allegorical elements in it, and and want to know want to know more. Uh, about what that means. What does light versus darkness mean? What does sacrificial love mean? What does uh, what do these things mean, and how can I explore them more? So uh, I hope that answers answers the question. Um, I am very very happy with the opportunities that have opened up for me because of being a Christian author, and I'm okay with any other opportunities I miss out on because I'm not willing to compromise my faith or my beliefs. Uh, just for a bigger opportunity. That is an incredibly inspiring answer, and I'm honored by your comments about Hillsdale College as well. So I have one last question for you. In his essay, Why I Write, George Orwell famously explains that good writing is both aesthetically pleasing and it's hiding some deeper message for the reader behind the storytelling. So how do you weave the message of Christian faith into your stories without sacrificing plot or the other way around? That's a great question. I, I would say this is a thing that I've had to learn how to do over the years because I used to try to find the theme first. Okay, what's the spiritual theme, I would ask, and it wouldn't come to me. It would be so frustrating. Uh, I would say that now that I've written now six books, because my sixth book comes out next year, which is the sequel to The Wonderland Trials, I have learned that I cannot force the spiritual theme or even this, any part of the spiritual thread, I have to start with story first and trust that because my faith is strong in the Lord, that He's going to help me and show me as I write. Like I said, I'm a discovery writer, so trying to force that theme is like trying to force the plot. I, I just can't do it. With the Wonderland Trials, for the longest time, I had no idea what the theme was. And uh, it wasn't until about a month before the manuscript was due to my publisher that God showed me what it was, and I was I was scrambling through there. I was scrambling through trying to to include it because it it finally hit me. Oh my goodness, this is the story I am telling, and this ties everything together uh, as far as the allegory in that story goes. And I think that the reason that God does that is to remind me that my books belong to Him. I cannot do it without His help. Uh, He is ultimately the author. He's the author of me, and so therefore He is the author of my books. Uh, 
And I think he does it to keep me humble. Uh, so I would tell any writer out there who is wondering how to include those spiritual threads in their stories, you can write down a list of things that are important to you, biblical, scriptural themes uh, that are important to you, things that Christians deal with every day. There are so many universal themes out there that even resonates with the world, and they don't even realize where it comes from. You know, the idea of sacrificial love, for example, that that's Christ, and yet that idea, the the idea of sacrificial love and sacrificing yourself for the person you love, uh, is something we see in secular Hollywood movies all the time, or we used to. <laughs> anyway. And um, so I think I think it's closer than you think as you write and as you trust in the Lord uh, and really work on that story, work on honing your writing craft and that story structure because of your faith and because of your beliefs, that's going to come naturally through your story. And I think that you'll find that it shows up when you least expect it. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story. This was a fantastic conversation and I learned a ton from it. Oh, thank you so much, Lauren. It was really my pleasure. To our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. Our guest has been Sarah Ella, award-winning author of the Unblemished Trilogy, Coral, and the Wonderland Trials. I'm Lauren Smith, host of the Conversations Over Coffee interview series on WRFH Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.